This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just back. want somebody to share there my life. There are all these stereotypes and belief systems out there that you can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another amazing episode of Dates and Mates. You know, I always aim to be forward thinking and progressive on the show to expand your beliefs around what is possible for you in love. And that's exactly what we are going to do with today's episode. This is a special week because this episode is part of the Worthy in Love podcast tour. Here's how the podcast tour works. Every day for two weeks, the tour features a different episode from a different podcast that gives listeners actionable advice on feeling worthy and attracting a healthy partnership. You'll get different perspectives on how to actually feel worthy in love. And Veronica Grant, who created this podcast tour, has specially curated this list of podcasts to ensure that you get the most actionable, BS-free support to help you feel more worthy in love. Yesterday's episode was over on the Language of Adventurous Singles podcast hosted by the amazing Kira Sabin. And tomorrow's episode is on the Relax Into Love podcast with Teal Elizabeth. And today, it's me. And I'm kicking off the show with a mini masterclass on how to feel worthy on dating apps. You know, that's my favorite topic. So of course, that's where we'll be kicking off the show today. You can register for the entire tour so you can listen to all of the participating podcasts by going to veronicagrant.com slash pod tour. Of course, the link will be in the show notes. Then that's not all. We have so much more show. Another area that I see a lot of people limiting their dating pool is around age. And there was a new study that has shown attitudes around older women dating younger men are starting to shift. To help me dismantle any misconceptions about age and dating is my friend Marnie Kinris, one of the top dating coaches in the entire world world. She's every man's personal wing girl and the founder of the wing girl method. Plus she's the host of the amazing ask women podcast. And then of course I have your questions in dear Demona, including how can I get past the six month mark in dating? And should you ask your match to make more time for you in their busy schedule? <laughs> Lots to cover today. So get your pen and paper ready because it's time to go back to school. It's time for a mini masterclass. These dating dish. Our past guest, Veronica Grant, who organized this Love Pod tour, says there's so much advice out there about loving yourself first in order to attract love. And while that kind of advice is rooted in truth, it's kind of vague and ultimately unhelpful. And we want to drill down to specific advice that you can put into action to shift how you feel about yourself and your prospects on love now. As an online dating coach of over 15 years and as the official OkCupid spokesperson, I felt like it was important for me to speak up about some situations I see coming up in the online dating world. I hear a lot of dating app frustration. I see a ton of dating app burnout. And today I want to examine the patterns that I see on dating apps that ultimately make people feel worse than if they had never swiped in the first place. I have seen the effect of ghosting and rejection on the apps really affect my clients' feelings of worthiness. And today I want to talk about how to make the apps work for you and go into online dating with the mindset that will attract what you're looking for rather than leaving you feeling defeated. So let's start with ghosting because this is uh, this is 
not a new phenomenon, but it's certainly something that people are feeling more acutely as the speed of dating has increased. So I hear a lot of people blaming dating apps for our overall dating culture problems. So I want to set the record straight on a few things. First of all, it's not the apps that are the problem. The apps are the tool that help us to open up our dating pool. (laughs) I didn't mean to rhyme with that. But when you do that, a lot of new options come in and it's a really powerful tool. So if you're optimizing your profile and you're getting a lot of options in your dating pool, that's going to create a bit of a paradox of choice. And I'll talk about that in a moment, how you have so many options that it causes you to have to make so many micro decisions that it can often leave you feeling fatigued and overwhelmed. The other thing that happens is the speed of communication has increased dramatically over the last 15 plus years that I've been doing this. And I believe that we can't talk about dating apps without talking about the shift in communication to asynchronous text-based communication versus real-time, in-person or on-the-phone verbal synchronous conversation. So when we are just communicating with someone in these text and short burst messages back and forth, we are developing a false sense of intimacy, a false sense of knowing someone. And as also we add social media to the mix and how we live so much of our lives putting out this image that we've created or curated for ourselves and looking at the images that are presented to us from other people, we start to draw conclusions about who we should be dating, who we are, what we want in love based on a lot of these false narratives ultimately that we're consuming every day. So while I will take one for the team that dating apps are somewhat part of our dating culture challenge, I think we have to look back at the bigger picture of how much of our overall dating culture has changed. And instead of blaming the apps or saying, I can't find anyone that's right for me on the apps, which is ridiculous when you consider that the majority of singles today are on or have used a dating app at some point in their life. Now, We have to accept that this is part of our dating culture and learn how to use the tool most effectively, but also learn how to use the tool of dating apps in a way that doesn't break your spirit, in a way that enhances and informs your life, in a way that brings you more opportunity than you you had before. For many people, if you had a breakup, you got out of a marriage, if you Uh, had a very busy work schedule, if you lived in a location that didn't have a lot of single people, when I began this process of being a dating coach 15 years ago, you would have been stuck. You would have had very few options. And unless you were willing to embrace dating apps, you would have had a very limited dating pool or no dating pool at all. So first, I I just want to flip your thinking around the power that lies within the dating app and within the ability to date online and find your match anywhere. Your greatest match could be anywhere in the world, and you have the ability to connect with them, to draw them in, and to form a relationship now across many barriers. So once we get on board with that, then we have to look at what the specific challenges are that many of my clients, many of my listeners here have said that they faced. And ghosting is one of the primary challenges. And let me tell you first why ghosting happens. A minute ago, I said that we are having this asynchronous communication and we're looking at photos and sometimes videos too of people online that we think we know and developing an idea of this person in our head and a vision of how they might fit into our lives many times before we've even met or before we've developed a connection or a rapport with that person. So ghosting happens when you do not have aligned goals for the relationship. And I'm using the relationship broadly. Sometimes a relationship is a situationship. Sometimes a relationship is something more. Sometimes a relationship is just a match, but it hasn't blossomed further. So I'm using relationship to cover all of those things. But A lot of times I see people not differentiate between those different kinds of connections. And so we have our expectations wrapped up in this person that we just matched with, we just swiped on. Maybe we've been texting them 
for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and we feel this sense of intimacy in knowing this person and having the expectation or the hope that they're going to show up for us. But ultimately, it's built on a false narrative. If you haven't met this person in real life, you haven't had a real-time synchronous communication with them on the phone or over FaceTime, you're basically just an avatar. You're a name and a phone, you're a picture, you're an idea to them. So when I encourage my clients to really move off of the app, move off of the app quickly, spend no more than one week, spend no more than one week talking to someone online before you move to the next phase. It could be a phone call, it could be a video chat date, it could be a, an in-person date. I, I do prefer, though, some kind of screening call before you get to that in-person date because once you then get off of the app and you become a real person and you have a real-time conversation with them, there's more investment in them showing up for you. So that alone, just setting a phone call before the date, will help you weed out a lot of the people who are ultimately not right for you and will prevent you from going on these dates that our time sucks and energy sucks and just plain suck and make you more frustrated and make you feel more burned out about investing time in the app or in other people that you ultimately want to meet. So try that first if ghosting is happening for you. And then also think about that as if you're getting ghosted further down the line, I would really start to examine the choices that you're making on those initial dates because we need to very quickly be able to assess if somebody is worthy of your time and if you want to make an investment in getting to know them. And it doesn't do you any good to have long, drawn-out text conversations even after the date because, again, you're developing that false sense of intimacy that may not exist in the real world. They could be talking to other people and taking other people out in between the dates. So you want to keep that communication close and clear Clearly state your relationship goals and how you want to communicate with that person going forward and try to get all of these threads that you are starting to a decision point as quickly as possible. That's your goal in dating to see, is this person, are you in or are you out? Is this person on board? Are they a match or are they not? Try not to draw out conversations over text and get to know someone um, simply through asynchronous communication, because you will develop this false sense of connection and this false sense of intimacy. The second big challenge that I see with online dating that affects people's worthiness in love is this feeling of rejection on apps. Because again, we get connected to the idea of someone. We we study their profile and we match with them. And then we have an expectation that they are going to have the same level of interest, not knowing if they are talking to someone else, if they have something different in mind for what they're looking for. And we get too attached to the outcome of each of those individual interactions. So I really encourage you to stay in the moment and not get too far ahead, both when you match with someone and as you're going through the date process, many of you have heard me talk on Dates and Mates about my three-date rule. A lot of times people aren't even themselves on the first date. They haven't really opened up. They haven't developed that trust with you. They haven't become worthy of you sharing your personal information with them. And you're still just getting to know one another. But we're in such a rush to get to the happy ending, to get to the end point that we sometimes push through that and are simply looking to be desired rather than to determine if this person is ultimately a good match for you or not. And when we're driven by getting as many matches as possible, as we would say in social media, we are trying to get as many likes as possible because we do get a little boost of adrenaline every time someone likes our photos or every time someone matches with us on an app, a boost of adrenaline comes and tells us, oh, this is something that could blossom into the story that I want to have and I want to tell. And sometimes we even forget about the person that sent the message and the person that's right there. And that erodes our worthiness. And that makes us feel if that person doesn't give us back what we want, like we've been rejected. 
But how could you be rejected when that person doesn't truly even know you yet? And you don't also know them. You don't know what their goals or their expectations were yet. So try to really stay in the moment and not play it ahead. Stay in that magical space of possibility and opportunity without getting too attached to the outcome. Certainly not before that third date. In those first three dates, you're still laying the foundation. You're still building trust and getting to know one another. We love stories. I love stories as much as the next gal, but we do have almost an addiction to these stories. And because we watch so many movies and TV shows and We have read so many fairy tales that we have this drive to complete our fairy tale ending. And sometimes we miss those moments in between the the meatiness that's in the middle of the story of discovery and the, the ups and downs are all part of the journey. So I really encourage you when you are on dating apps to remember that A like or a match does not constitute your worthiness. The app is just the tool that's going to bring those potential matches to you. You have so much opportunity today to find someone who is ideally aligned for you and not just whomever is in your social circle, whomever is in your immediate geographic area. You can find someone anywhere in the world. And to me, that speaks up to great possibility. And with great possibility comes great responsibility and this paradox of choice. We do have to be choosing. We have to make these micro decisions. And the more that you can clarify what you're ultimately looking for and identify who you want to invest your time in getting to know without getting too far ahead of where you're at right now, the more you can conserve that energy, the more that you can preserve your worthiness and save it to be invested in the right person whose goals and values are ultimately ideally aligned with yours. Stay positive, recommit to your values and goals and date based on that, and you'll begin to write your own love story for yourself rather than falling for someone else's fairy tale ending. That's my masterclass on worthiness and online dating. There are so many topics covered on this podcast tour, so be sure to sign up at veronicagrant.com slash pod tour to hear all of the other great shows in the series. We'll be right back with Marnie Kinris, founder of The Wing Girl Method. She says age ain't nothing but a number. Oh, wait. No, that was actually Aaliyah. Okay, well, Marnie doesn't have a chart-topping song about it, but she does know her stuff, so stay with us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. I am here with my dear friend, Marnie Kinris. She is the creator of The Wing Girl Method and host of the Ask Women podcast, where she coaches men on how to date, how to flirt, and how to get better with the ladies. Today, she's here to talk to us about the latest study on how your age affects who you date and how to fix common misconceptions in dating. Please help me give big smooches to my guest, Marnie Kinris. So glad that you're here. Thank you for having me back. It's been years since I've been on your show. Don't say it like that. Years. (laughs) You're busy. Well, it has. You've been doing this show for a long time. I've been doing my show for a long time. It's been years since I've seen you. So thank you for having me back on. I'm excited to be here. It's long overdue. And you are... You are the woman when it comes to the wing girl method and coaching guys on how to be more successful in approaching women and and growing relationships and you know whatever else you might want. But today you I I was tipped off by you that there is was a new study on older women and younger men. So I wanted to just first lead off with yeah, that. Tell me thing. about this study and Do tell it. me like why it's relevant and why it's happening right now. I don't really know why it's happening right now, to be honest, but it's happening that younger men are saying they are very open and wanting to be dating older women. 
It's not saying the ages of these men specifically. So I didn't really get that information from the study. They were a little bit more aloof when it came to who was actually being posed these questions. But I decided on my own to pose the exact same question to my database of over 7,000 men who, who range in age between 18 to 85. And I asked this question, do you want to date older women? Does this interest you? Is this appealing to you? And I will say I got a range of different responses, but most of them said, hell yes. Why would I not want a woman who has her sh together? I don't know if I can say it on your show. Yeah. Who has it all together. Who's more mature than me, who I can look up to admire and respect. There were some guys who were older, like who were like 65 or even 55 who are like older. Oh my God. Older means dead to me. So I know not interested in dating older, but many of the guys in the age range of 20 to even up to 50 were saying, yeah, they were told not even just open to dating older women, but wanting to date older women. And I have a theory as to why this is happening. That's what we do here. Tell me your theory. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's not, it's not, it's not truth. I'm just saying, I think it's happening because during this pandemic time, people have really shifted over to more communication, to valuing things other than just what they see on a flat surface. Um, online, the stats are showing people want more transparency, more honesty, more sharing of values, more asking questions and getting to know each other before they're actually going to couple up or even go on a date with somebody. So I, I think that because of this more open communication and expansion of people's views of dating, I think that this is where this this new trend has come from. People are more open to seeing beyond the surface and realizing that they don't just connect to the other 25-year-old that's you know in their category, that there's more people for them to explore. And I really do find also that a lot of men are becoming much better communicators. Uh, they're learning to listen more, share more, uh, reveal more, be more vulnerable. And I think that women who are older are really appreciating that because maybe they don't have that in their own age category, which is why the attraction from the other end is becoming even more appealing for women to be attracted to the younger men. So these older men admire, respect, and can communicate with these older women. And these older women can appreciate that and appreciate the man on the other end. So it's a very symbiotic relationship between younger men and older women. I have women. so many follow-up um, questions. There's a couple of myths that I, I want to just bust up right here with you. One, I hear a lot that men, from, from women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, men my age only want to date younger women. So let's start with that one. And I, I think it's a myth, but what beyond the study, what are you saying? It, it is a myth. So I, when I posed this question to my group as well, a lot of the, the guys who were in the older category, so like 45 and up, they, oh, I wish I could read you all these results, but like they were kind of bitter, angry answers from them saying like all of these women only want to date really rich men. All of these women ask you a million questions on dates to sh make sure you check all their boxes and fill into their categories. And if you don't have X, Y, and Z, they don't want to even give you the time of day. All of these women have no energy, tons of baggage and want to reveal it to you on the first date. So on the, on the flip side, I can understand the appeal to younger women for, for men. Um, and I can understand where some of this bitterness comes from. They go on dates with women who are their age or even start to talk to somebody online. And a lot of the women that they engage with may have strong barriers to entry. They ask a ton of questions or kind of rude when they're asking these questions if they're not getting the responses that they want. They don't give these people the time and space of these men, the time and space to really be free and show who they are. They got a, a boundary up right away. So on the, on the flip side, I, I get why women are getting that response because men are also feeling something on their own. I'm gonna theorize. Let me theorize for a second now. <laughs> Because yeah. I think I think that people are attracted to flexibility. And when sometimes when I'm working with older clients, they have a lot of boundaries, like you were saying, a lot of like, well, this is my life and my new match has to fit into the schedule that I have and this friend group. Like I want him to integrate with my friends and my family. And there isn't always this this 
growth mindset or flexibility around the fact that it's a partnership and you are going to have to compromise or open up on some things or even just be willing to try new things or invite someone different into your life that's going to bring you into other worlds and other routines and other experiences that you otherwise wouldn't have. And so I see this rigidity as well. I don't hear the comments that you're hearing from men that sound sort of bitter about it, but I do want to encourage any women that are listening to just think about how they can open up a little bit more flexibility. I'm not, you know, we're keeping it clean today, but just be a little bit more flexible in their approach and and really look at that must-have list beyond even, even age, but look at the must-have list, like you were saying, and really, really distinguish which things are absolutely that important or which are ideals that you think are important. And now we're going to get into my second part of the question because of what society has told you is appropriate or it would make you, you know, higher status. And I I know people don't like to look at this and they don't like to talk about it, but it is a real thing. A lot of the decisions we make are driven by status or what other people in our world say. And I think that's one thing that also keeps people from experiencing these age gap relationships because they're so worried, what is somebody going to say if I walk in with a guy 20 years my junior? Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, here's my thing. I don't really care what people think, (laughs) but I know that a lot of people do. I remember a very long time ago, uh, my husband's friend uh, was marrying somebody or is married now to somebody who is 16 years younger than him. They're a fantastic couple. They have three kids now. They own a home in Los Angeles. They've been together for a long time. Anyway, I was at her bachelorette party. And I remember I was sitting beside one of the groom's female friends who was the same age as the groom. So 16 years older than the uh, bride to be. And I remember her just saying how wrong it was that this groom was marrying somebody that was 16 years younger, how kind of disgusting it was, what's wrong with him, what does he have to hide about himself, that he is going for somebody 16 years younger, can't he face, like all all of these beliefs that she was spitting out, and I just looked at her saying like, what if he just really connects to somebody who's 16 younger because she's not bitter, angry, full of energy, full of life. And that's exactly how he is as well. And he's dated multiple women who are in this category for him of the same age range and didn't connect to them. It was, just, it, and my point is, is that like, you're absolutely right. There are all these stereotypes and belief systems out there that keep so many people from doing what they actually want to do. Sounds like that lady who's trying to get a free dinner. And right, like, exactly. if you feel that way, honey, don't come to the wedding, okay? They could use that 125 bucks right. back in their but pocket. But she was just really protective of him. But she, so she's a therapist and she was just trying to understand the psychology of it. When, when what was really happening was she was putting her own whatever onto the situation, whatever her own beliefs were, whatever the insecurities were that were triggered for her because somebody was choosing somebody younger. Let's let's flip that because I think it's been a long held practice of older men dating younger women and we've kind of as a society acclimated to it. But this phenomenon of younger men dating older women still seems to have this stank on it that I think for both society, but also like I I hear a lot from women who get all of these messages from younger men on dating apps and say, well, how do I know? How do I know he's really interested in me? He's not trying to get my money. How do I know he's going to be a good partner? He's not going to leave me for someone his own age or someone younger, you know, 15 years down the road. How do you know, Marnie? How do you know? How do you know? You don't know. You have absolutely no idea, but you go in uh, intelligently. You ask really good questions without being an interrogator and you open yourself up little by little. As soon as he starts to ask for money because he's trapped in India and can't get out, then you stop talking to the person the same way that guys do it on the other end. So, so many guys that I talk to get into these relationships where there's a woman who's really into them online, who's very responsive right away. And then two weeks into their relationship online, they ask for a 
$100 or $200 or $1,000 or something, whatever. That's somebody who is catfishing you, who's just talking to you because they want money. It would be the same thing on the flip side. If that's where the majority of your conversation goes to, you're not having real conversations about things. You're not connecting. You're not sharing with each other. You're just sort of exchanging pleasantries and then money's asked for you know, then you stop talking to that person. But the truth is, is that you, you never, you never know. Even with my husband who I've been with for 17 years, he could, you know, pull the wool over my eyes tomorrow. I have absolutely no idea, but I'm, I'm going forward in good faith. We are connected to each other and we do what we can day by day. That, I mean, that that's the only thing that you can do to protect yourself fully. But I will say to the women out there who are questioning dating younger men, why are you questioning it? Like really look at it. Is it somebody that you connect to? Is it somebody that you're attracted to? Is it somebody that you have good conversations with? I would focus more on those things rather than on the negatives of what could happen to you or what he could do to you or potentially how he could feel eight months down the road. Um, I would focus on, on how you're feeling in that moment and what you're exchanging with each other. You are also an expert in communication for so many years with the wing girl method, you you've taught men how to feel confident in approaching women and communicating in any setting. So I think that's also a piece of where we are right now. Like you were saying, coming out of COVID, everybody's yearning for this, this connection and communication, but there are some topics and some questions that people are still afraid. Men are afraid to say anything that reveals what their true intentions are, reveals how they feel about the other person. And they're afraid to ask the questions that will benefit them in making their choice and selection to move forward in a relationship, to bring up a divorce, to bring up past relationships, to ask even what their values are. They're very afraid to ask these questions of women because of what it may say to the woman. It may seem disrespectful. It might scare a woman off. Uh, so just like, you know, women on the flip side have a million things that they're afraid to say and ask men, men experience the exact same thing. They just do not want to rock the boat by bringing up things that are really important. And hopefully what the pandemic has taught us and what studies have shown is that people are now more willing to ask questions, to say things, to share more information about themselves up front. So I watch uh, Bachelor in Paradise. I don't know if you watch that show. <laughs> uh, hard like, pass for Bachelor me, but I, but respect. I understand. It's, and it's our world. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> and it's the only reality TV show that I watch, but I'm absolutely obsessed with it. But I have noticed a trend in the past two seasons. And, and these are people who are like 35 or 40 and younger um, who are dating. Each of them, is armed with much better communication skills than when they first started doing Bachelor in Paradise. They have hard conversations. They have tough questions that they bring up fairly early in each season. Like even on each of their first dates, people now ask, so what are you looking for? What do you want? What are your values? These are not things that were on the show five years ago, or I don't remember those kind of conversations being had and held between the contestants. And I, I, I do believe it's, it's pandemic. It's also, I feel like I've been teaching this for the past, you know, 17 years to men. So maybe it's, it's part of that as well with other dating coaches leaning in that direction for better communication. But I feel like now it's, it's being kicked into high gear and people are actually learning how to be more open and honest, but back to the juicy questions, but there's still spaces that people are scared to go to when it comes to hitting that vulnerable nerve and opening up to another person. Mm, but that's really where the juicy stuff is in that vulnerability. And a lot of times I couple flirting skills with communication skills. Do you see a distinction between between just like communicating on a date and flirting on a date? What does good flirting look like to you? Good flirting is like an adult's playground, right? That's how it should feel. It, it should be very similar to how it felt when you were five years old and you were swinging on those monkey bars and going down that slide. It's free. It's fun. It's like a roller coaster. It makes your heart beat a little bit fast. That's that's what good flirting is. It's playfulness with another person. It has nothing to do with connection. Um, it has nothing to do with a really good conversation. It is about energetically connecting to another worse, uh, person, either through your verbal words, your body language, or your voice tonality, or some sort of touch. 
right? That's, that's what flirting is. It's adult play. Um, and that flirting can be done on very PG low levels with anybody around you, or it could, can be done on a very, you know, X rated level with those that you are sleeping with or want to be sleeping with. And then communication is very different. That's an exchange of your information. That's, that's when you're, you're taking down the wall and you're saying who you are. And that can be done on low levels as well, or very high levels. You can reveal as much as you want to another person. Um, but that, that's where communication is. It it isn't as playful. It's revealing and honest. You need a mixture of, of both in order to move to that next level, uh, in any interaction with somebody that you're dating. And I, I actually think it flips. So it's in the beginning when you're dating, it should be like 75% flirting, 25% connection, depending on your age. If you're like 40 plus, maybe 35 plus 50% flirting, 50% communication and connection. And then as you graduate and you go deeper into a relationship, the flirting becomes less, but not a lot less, but the communication and connection becomes much more relevant and should be the the dominant type of communication that you guys have. See, this is why I love talking to you because you, you've been studying this for so long and you really have such a thoughtful response to any any of these dating and relationship scenarios that oh, people thank you. of course of course that's why I adore you what do you say to those folks who feel like they're not good at flirting they and I look at flirting as a learned skill the more you practice it the better you get at it but what if you just never really learned it well then you get a copy of my f formula <laughs> so that you can learn how to flirt but I will say there's there there is you have to have an understanding of what flirting is. I think so many people, especially men, uh, confuse being sexual with a woman with flirting with a woman. And so therefore they cut out all of it just to make sure that they're not being disrespectful or creepy to women and then become these like sort of blank monotone individuals who can't be playful on a date. So um, there are, for men, especially specifically, there are three phases of flirting that you can do. There is a PG level phase where you're playing around with somebody and having fun. And that is very easy to learn and something that everybody should be doing on a daily basis. And really all it comes down to is just freedom of speech for yourself right? It's like being a child again, where you are allowed to blurt out the things that you want to, uh, you make associations to things that's kind of seem wild and crazy. Um, and if you can allow yourself that freedom first, then you'll be able to flirt because everybody can flirt, right? It's a skill. So everybody has the ability to flirt. Many people just don't allow themselves to because it's uncomfortable or because they have this belief that they don't know how to do it. So In my program, The F Formula, the first thing that I do teach about is the importance of of what your body is communicating to people. Because once you can get your body into that space that will allow flirting to happen, the words and the rest of it come more naturally. So making eye contact, looking somebody in the eye, having open body language that's loose and not closed off, uh, being able to touch somebody when in conversation with them on a very low level level. uh, non-sexual way, but still being able to reach out and touch someone. Um, just learning how to do these things and being comfortable with them is the first step to be able to open yourself up to flirting. Because if you're closed off, looking down and not touching anybody, it's going to be really difficult to even engage in any mm, type of flirting. That's true. That's true. And I find touch is very, it's tricky right now because it's a, such a powerful tool in flirting. And yet due to COVID and Me Too, I feel like people don't really know how to use it effectively or safely right now. So I want to also remind people that you can touch your own body and sometimes touching your own body is an act of flirting too. Now, and not weird, y'all, who everybody who yes, went there, totally back it up. <laughs> but like, you know, if if you're touching your hair or if you are like saying something really heartfelt and you touch your chest, like that can actually trigger feelings for somebody else of wanting to touch you, right? Totally. 100%. Like even if you're talking and you have your hand on your chin and then you're taking your other hand and, and like kind of stroking that hand to sort of tickle yourself, that's, that's still 
in a way indicating, okay, I'm being kind of flirty right now. This is feminine. This is soft. I'm showing you what it would be like to touch me. So yes, I completely agree with you. On the flip side, I'm on the more conservative, cautious side for COVID right now. I have younger kids, so I I am in that space still. And for a while, it was very foreign for somebody to be touching me. I feel like now I'm in the position where I want to get back to touch and I'm starting to do it more. And I feel like people are very responsive to it. So even moments where I'm interacting with somebody and I can put my hand on their shoulder for a split second, or if I am talking and I'm saying, hey, you and me, and like I touch their shoulder again, or even sometimes you could uh, do this space on the chest, but I would say that's for somebody that you really know well. But it's really like the shoulder, the side of the arm, uh, some way tapping their leg if you're sitting beside them, like something that is low level to gauge how comfortable somebody is with touch is really important to have in most of your interactions. It's helpful for connection. It's helpful for, for building trust because when when touch is incorporated into your conversations, it is a natural psychological thing that somebody will feel more trusting and safe with you if you do incorporate touch into your conversations. And I feel like most people are comfortable with that kind of touching. We all know now, you know, that you're not going to get COVID or whatever from me touching your knee in some way, not like we used to believe in the very beginning. So I, I feel like people are much, much more open to, to that kind of touching to go on. Right. And if you don't know, you can always ask. I think asking for consent is always right. And always ask if it's done in a sexy, flirtatious way. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Thank you so much for being here, Marnie. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. You can find out so much more from Marnie at winggirlmethod.com. Guys, definitely look out for her webinar series. And you can check out her program, The F Method, where she teaches guys how to flirt. And of course, there's the Ask Women podcast, and it's for everyone. Next up, here's what's on your mind. How can you have a healthy relationship after an abusive marriage? And she says she's busy. Does that mean she's about to ghost? I'll tell you what I think in just a moment. Welcome back. Here are the questions we're tackling this week. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. Our first question comes to us from a listener named M. She says, I'd like to change my habits to best position myself to build a healthy relationship with a life partner. Said like a true Dates and Mates listener. She says, I was married to an abusive man for 10 years and have been dating since we separated four years ago, but haven't had a relationship longer than six months. The integrity of the men I date has steadily improved. No longer dating CEO types who don't treat me well or intense, successful men who don't live near me. But my boyfriend's disengaged from the last four relationships at one, six, three, and four months. They go from highly engaged to pulling away. And I'm left to ask about the shift. And that usually leads to a breakup. Would love your advice on what I should do differently. Thanks. Em, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your marriage. And I just want to acknowledge that that is a difficult situation. That is a trauma that you experienced for 10 years, an ongoing trauma. And I hope that you have had access to a great therapist to be able to help you work through some of that trauma. When you are in a relationship that is not healthy and you recognize it as not healthy with someone who is abusive, it's, as Patty Stanger would say, your picker is off. And the things that you are attracted to are these qualities, I'm not surprised that you say CEO types, who I assume are very assertive and have things the way that they want them and very successful. And you also use the word intense because that is the way that you got attention in your last relationship was through intense behaviors like that. So your picker needs to be recalibrated. And I'm glad to hear that you are dating people with more integrity. Uh, But I want to make sure that you are getting support as you're going through the dating process, figuring out what some of those signals are that actually make you lean in because they feel familiar to you, that actually are indicators of someone either having abusive tendencies or of someone who does not have the 
capability to support you and nurture you in the way that you deserve it. So that's part one of of your answer. Part two is, girlfriend, I would say if you've had these four relationships in four years, you're actually not doing so bad. So I also want to reframe any thoughts that you might have around it's not going well because these relationships didn't end up, I don't know if it's marriage that you're looking for or end up in something more serious. To me, if it's a healthy relationship that's helping you recalibrate your picker and you feel supported through a portion of that six months, to me, that is not a failure. To me, that is a successful relationship that ultimately wasn't with your lifelong person. When we have these healthy relationships and you can take what worked from them and apply them to your next relationship, you actually are learning and growing along the way. So I really see a lot of value in those relationships. The other thing I'll say is that you've heard me probably say this on the show before. Usually there are milestone markers at about three months and at about six months. So it's not surprising to me that these relationships didn't go past that point. And you may have just gotten to the point where it was clear that it wasn't an ultimate match in goals, values, or something else that you really need in the relationship. But now I want to talk about what's happening when they're pulling away. And it sounds like you're correlating every time you ask about them pulling away, it's leading to a breakup. You're seeing that as a pattern. So I'm getting curious about how you are engaging in that conversation, the way that you are inviting them to show up for you, or getting curious yourself about what's going on in the relationship and in their behavior. Some of this may just be a natural lull in a healthy relationship. Things are really passionate. They're very invested in the beginning and trying to win you over. And then you become a part of their circle and they're a part of their daily life. And they don't have to work quite so hard to win you over, but they can relax into the relationship and trust that you're going to be there for them. That may be what's happening, or it might be that we've missed some of the signs along the way that they have shown that this isn't ultimately their lifelong partnership and they are trying to backstep it in a way that is not hurtful or overwhelming for you. I think it's really important for you, M, to clarify in the early phase of the relationship, like in the first six weeks of the relationship, what that person's ultimate relationship goals are. Because it might be that these folks, you've come out of a marriage, and that might be the model that you're operating based on. These one, six, three, and four-month relationships, maybe they weren't looking at the relationship in the same way. So if you're having those conversations along the way and checking in about how they're feeling, it won't feel like as much of a left turn if ultimately they pull away and you find out that you're not really aligned in your relationship goals or values. Um, I think this all boils down to communication, clear communication with these men that you're dating about ultimately what you want, what you're looking for, and where you're at in the relationship. So many times we are afraid to really speak our truth because we're afraid they're going to run away. But I would rather you get clarity in the first three months and find out that someone is not ultimately your life partner. And finally, I have to just acknowledge you for the most important thing that you said here. You escaped a relationship with an abusive person that you were in for 10 years. And that takes a lot of strength, Em. That takes a lot of courage. And you are still here. And you made it. And you're free. You are free to live. You are free to love. And you are free to be who you want to be and build the life that you want. And even though you are craving a life partner, a healthy relationship with a life partner, it's ultimately that healthy relationship with yourself that comes first. This next question comes to us from a listener named D. He says, I'm a 25-year-old guy who's new to the dating world, and I've gone on two dates with this girl. There's chemistry. We get along. And so far, we've communicated well, and I really like her. 
The problem is she has a lot of stuff going on in her life, and it's been hard to find time to go on actual dates. The two dates we have been on have been good, but it was about three weeks between them, and it's looking like it'll be three to four weeks again for the third. I want to be seeing her more often, and she's hoping that her schedule calms down soon so she has more time and energy, but... It's hard not to feel like I'm being strung along. We're planning on talking on the phone regularly for the next couple weeks, but I'm worrying that I'm going to invest a lot of my time and energy into her and end up getting nowhere. What should I do? Do I stick it out and see if she starts making time for me in her life or do I rip the Band-Aid off now? Dee, I understand this concern about investing time and energy and getting nowhere I hate to tell you, that's kind of the name of the game. That's kind of the leap of faith that we make when we begin a dating process because we don't know where it's headed. Now, the other thing I can tell you from my corporate experience in my prior career is that they say when you're interviewing someone for a job, the best indicator of their future behavior is by looking at how they solve problems or a dressed things in the past. So you ask about past experiences or you look at their their current actions, okay? And what I see if she's applying for the job of maybe being your girlfriend is that she's pretty darn busy. So that's probably going to be a consistent narrative in the relationship going forward. And the first thing I have to ask you is if you're going to be okay with that. If she is going to be so busy that you might not see each other every single week, is that going to be enough for you in the relationship? Regardless of if she's going to ghost down the road, is that a relationship you want to sign up for? And it might not be enough for you. Now, if it is, the silver lining here, I would say, is that it sounds like she really is making you a priority. She's communicating to you and saying, I'm very busy. I'm booked up for the next three weeks, but let's set a date three weeks out because I really do want to see you. And if she didn't care at all, what you would see is she would say, oh, I'm really busy right now. Maybe we can connect again in three weeks. She wouldn't be saying, let's make a plan to talk on the phone. I'm really busy. I'm hoping things calm down, but I want to at least talk to you. She wouldn't be saying that. So it sounds like to me, she's not blowing you off. She is trying to fit you into her schedule. And the question is just, is this the lifestyle that you want to sign up for? Because even if her schedule calms down now, in another couple months, things are probably going to pick back up. It's reminding me of myself at 25. And look at me, I'm not 25 anymore, but I still live my life that way. Once one project wraps, we're always on to the next project. So if you can sign up for that, then it sounds like you found yourself somebody who's a great communicator, who's very productive, which is a great quality in a partner and who wants to be with you. And plus you have chemistry. And I would say this is a pretty good place to be. Oh, such fabulous questions this week and every week on Dates and Mates. I want to make sure that I can hear from you. If you have a love dilemma, big or small, dating or in a relationship, tell it to me. Tell it to me and all your Dates and Mates friends. You can leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255 or DM me on any of the social platforms at Demona Hoffman. This is episode 382 of Dates and Mates. And thank you so much for listening to the Worthy and Love podcast tour. You've got to check out the rest of the podcast in this series. Sign up for the pod tour at veronicagrant.com slash pod tour or check the link in the show notes. We will be back again next Tuesday like clockwork with Jacqueline Newman. She's a top NYC divorce attorney who will talk to us about dating during and after divorce and how to get back on your feet after a breakup. Until then, I wish you happy dating.